we had completed the discussion of the four actions. And then there was an additional point that was discussed that which applies to females, but which we should be also taking note of. It applies to us in a sense as well. And the topic was the adopting of hijab. So this is the continuation of that discussion. Hazrat further writes, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, that adopting hijab does not mean keeping yourself locked behind closed doors. Rather, if the house is small, one should fully wrap oneself properly with a large shawl covering the face and body and continue the housework. This is where, in the case of communal living, others, non-mahrams also in the house. But if there is no one else in the home, then it is not proper to be alone with any ghair mahram male relative. Also, it is not permissible to speak to ghair mahrams without necessity. If there is a need to ask to bring something, some household needs, etc., one should ask with a heavy voice from behind a curtain or barrier. This is something that Allah Ta'ala mentions in the Quran Sharif. And again, regarding the same, the same aspect that was discussed yesterday, that the address was given to the Sahaba Ikram regarding the Azwaj Mutaharat in order to highlight this rule for the whole Ummah. Likewise, when it comes to the aspect of out of necessity, some kind of conversation might have to take place, Allah Ta'ala addresses again the Azwaj Mutaharat. Those who were of the highest caliber, where there was no fear of anything, if they were made the standard, then how much more it applies to anybody else? Allah Ta'ala said to them, فَلَا تَخْضَعَنَ بِالْقَوْلِ فَلَا تَخْضَعَنَ بِالْقَوْلِ That don't be soft in your speech. فَيَطْمَعَ الَّذِي فِي قَلْبِهِ مَرَضٍ Now where could this have been possible in that context? But Allah Ta'ala made that the standard. That the person who has some disease in his heart might start he might start entertaining some evil thoughts. So this is something which the Quran Sharif has very clearly outlined. So how much more it applies if it applied to people of that caliber, how much it applies to us and everybody else. Second thing, which is addressing females, but we all should be conscious of these things. One should not eat together on the same tablecloth, the same dastarkhan with ghair mahram male relatives. Either all the spouses, the husbands should eat together or men should eat separately and women separately. Another important point which must be taken into consideration is that young children are adopted when they grow up and reach adolescence. This is a common thing in Pakistan. So therefore, as they mention it, it happens elsewhere, it happens everywhere. That young children are adopted and when they grow up and reach adolescence, the women of the house tend to say that what hijab is there from him. I have cleaned his nappies and took care of him since he was a baby. Understand this point well, the rules and regulations of Sharia pertaining to adolescence are separate and the rules and regulations pertaining to adulthood are totally exclusive. This should actually be pertaining to childhood are separate and the rules and regulations pertaining to adulthood are totally exclusive. What does cleaning nappies have to do with anything? 
you cleaned your own child when he was a baby, do you do the same when he grows up and becomes a man? Obviously not. This is because the ruling changes in adulthood. Now after adulthood, the ruling changes for one's own child, one's own flesh and blood, then what do you think about that adopted child who is not even your own? Not adopting shari'i hijab from such people is a major sin. Similarly, another disease which has become very widespread these days is to regard someone as brother or sister when in actual fact he or she is not so. No one can simply become your lawful brother or sister by word of mouth. Because now somebody has, whatever the circumstances might have been, they grew up in their home or they were taken care of by somebody. So now this, they just become an extended brother, sister. So this doesn't happen by word of mouth. It is compulsory to adopt hijab from such a person. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran Majid, وَلَا يُبْدِينَ زِينَتَهُنَّ إِلَّا لِبُعُولَتِهِنْ أَوْ آبَائِهِنْ To the end of the ayat. And tell the believing woman that they must not expose their beauty or adornments except to their husbands. And the rest of the ayat which pertains to the mahram male relatives. Surah Noor. Further in the ayat Allah Ta'ala says, another ayat Allah Ta'ala says, وَإِذَا سَأَلْتُمُوهُنَّ مَتَاعًا فَاسْأَلُوهُنَّ مِنْ وَرَاءِ حِجَابٍ and when you ask anything from them, ask them from behind a curtain. That is better for the purity of your hearts and their hearts. And another ayat Allah Ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhan nabiyu qul li azwajika wa banatika wa nisa'il mu'minina yudnina alayhinna min jalabibihin. O Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, tell your wives and your daughters and the believing women, that they should draw down their shawls over them. So, this is something extremely important. This is something that, as mentioned, that the address was to females, but it applies equally to males. That the laws of hijab, the aspect what we term as parda, this is the garments of hijab. Hijab is actually a set of rules. The garments of hijab are the niqab, for example, part of it. But hijab, as a set of rules, applies to everybody, men or women, in terms of, for example, the intermingling of men and women. This is not permissible, this is a law of hijab. So, in that context, in one context, the word hijab is used specifically as the female, what they have to adopt in terms of their garments and so on, but actually it's a set of rules that applies to everybody. Everybody has to abide by those rules of keeping the segregation between males and females, etc., between non-mahrams. Then there's another topic here, which we will not read now, because this topic is the rights of the husband. So, if we read this topic now, then... This is something to be read, obviously, by women. We have to be reading the rights of the wife. But that's not in this booklet. So, inshallah, maybe some other booklet will find. There was once some domestic issue between couple. So, they were given one book. that The book contained both the rights of the husband and wife. 
and told each one was it meant to be read by the to read the relevant section. But the husband went and read up all the rights of the husband. And the wife went and read up all the rights of the wife. And now each one was now reminding the other one, go and open that book and see rule number so and so. What right I have? So that problem now escalated. So what was supposed to have been done is that each one to be taking care of fulfilling deen, sharia, you will find the mention of the rights. The rights of various parties, the mention of this would come in various places. But you'll find that this is mentioned in a very, very light manner, just in some places those rights are mentioned somewhere. But the emphasis, the emphasis is on the fulfilling of duties. The rights of parents have been mentioned in the context, if you find the rights of parents, for example, the rights of parents have been mentioned in an address to children. This is all addressed to the child. These are the things that you have to do and these are the rights of your parents. So the rights of parents are being mentioned as an address to the child, not an address to the parent that, look, you must demand these rights. <coughs> and likewise, the rights of the wife have been mentioned in an address to the husband. And some places there is a more different approach, but the point is that the general approach in Sharia is that the emphasis has been placed on the fulfilling of duties, the fulfilling of responsibilities. Now, if the husband fulfills his duties and responsibilities in the correct manner, the wife will have no right left to demand. If the wife fulfills her responsibilities and duties, there won't be any husband left to demand his rights. And likewise, if children fulfill the rights of the parents, the same will be the case. There won't be any parent complaining that I'm, my rights are not being fulfilled or my, I'm being treated badly. So in every relationship, if each party is concerned about fulfilling their responsibilities, their duties, then there won't be anybody left to demand any rights. And this is how things work in a proper manner. This is how things then function smoothly and in a peaceful way. But the Western life is something completely different. There, everyone is taught to demand, everyone is taught, number one, their own rights. Each one is taught his or her own rights. These are your rights. And the mizaj that is created, the temperament that is nurtured is that you must now demand your rights. There was one case somewhere in UK, which at that time came into the media and so on. Some elderly mother who was well, widowed or single mother in any case, so she brought a case against her son. She put a complaint and a, filed a case against her son and the crux of the case was that I am a single mother, I have nobody else, he's my only child. But he doesn't pay any, any attention to taking care of, of me, to take care of my needs and do whatever chores might be necessary that I have to attend to. Nothing. He has one dog of his. All the time he's spending with that dog. 
he will bark that dog and he will be grooming it and he will be taking it for walks and he'll be, his time is all the time only spent with this dog of his. So now she was demanding that the court must pass a ruling that he must give time to his mother also. So now this case came up in court. So in any case, the case was heard and he came and defended the case also. That I am an adult, I am an independent person. I have my own life. I cannot be obligated to worry about anybody else. It's my choice. So in any case, the case was heard. After the case, the judgment came that as far as the law is concerned, this person is an independent person. He has his own life. That is his right. If he doesn't want to assist somebody else, it's up to him. So his dog has right. And the dog... The dog, he is responsible for it. He must care for it. Indeed, Deen has taught us the rights of animals as well. Nabi Sallallahu has stated that in these animals, meaning they cannot express their pain, they cannot express what they are suffering, if they are being burdened. For example, now a person has got an animal which is using for transporting or for grazing or for, whatever, or for plowing the field or whatever he's taking extra work from it additional work from it meaning beyond its capacity he can't complain the beast also says Taqullah fi Allah ta'ala fi hazihil baha'imil mu'jama farkabuha salihatan that if you are going to be riding it ride it in a proper manner without giving it undue taklif without putting it to you through any additional burden which is not capable of. And likewise, the riwayat and the ahadith which speak about that woman who was a very, very good woman, she was very pious, doing a lot of good amal, but she had tied this cat, meaning confined it. Neither she fed it, nor she let it loose to go and fend for itself. The result of this was, she ended up in Jahannam, due to having mistreated this animal and on the other side was this evil woman who took pity on that dog that was dying of thirst and she lowered her scarf or her socks with the scarf into that well that is mentioned in the Hadith Sharif that she untied her scarf she was a woman of loose character but even in that time in that time even the woman of loose character didn't dare venture outdoors without a scarf. That she was a woman of loose character, but in the Hadith Shaykh is clearly mentioned that she then untied her scarf, she attached the sock to it, lowered it into that well, because the water was deep, and she brought out that water and fed that dog. And that became the means of her najat and salvation. So even treating an animal correctly, this is part of our deen. But here, all the rights of the animal only. The judgment came that this child, or this boy, he is responsible for this dog. That is his job. Sani's mother is concerned. He is an independent person now. He is an adult. That's up to him. So his dog has got rights. And indeed, Islam has given rights to animals also. But his mother has got no rights. The dog has got rights, but his mother has got no rights. The mother who gave birth to him, who nurtured him, who brought him up, who spent those sleepless nights taking care of him, 
who did everything for him, but now that he has grown up where he doesn't need that assistance from his mother anymore, so she has no right on him. This is that distorted life which brings about that whole breakdown of society. This is the manner that people live their lives, that I, that there's only three people that I've got to worry about in life. These are the three people that I've got to be concerned about. Me, myself and I. Nobody else. So me, myself and I. There's one Jamaat already. So it's only self-centered. Everything about myself. Anybody else? That's if, and generally, where it seems like you're concerned about someone else, very often, that too is because of some personal benefit in the process. Sometimes a person says that, so-and-so is my very good friend, and he is only spending time with the friend. Very good, provided that that friendship is within the limits of Sharia. It's not becoming anything that now getting into any evil habits due to that company is good company. Fine. So now that was his very good friend. He was enjoying the company of that friend, spending a lot of time. Now, Allah forbid, suddenly that person got very sick. Now he is not able to uh, maybe laugh and joke like he was joking previously. Or he can't go around visiting here and there, everywhere with this person. So now, is that friendship still being maintained? Now he's in need. He's in need of help, of assistance. Suddenly now, 99% of the time, the friends all disappear. Come and meet him, maybe once in a while. But that time previously, says, now that I got to visit him daily. And then he's neglecting his family also to spend time with the friend. Suddenly what happens? It was actually an aspect of convenience or personal benefit in the sense that I was getting some kind of enjoyment in his company. So I wasn't going for his friendships, I was going for my enjoyment. Now when the person's condition now changed, he's no more able to be that person who was laughing and talking previously, no more able to now accompany the one, the next person to go around somewhere. So now because this, this enjoyment which I was getting out of it is no more available, so now he can fend for himself now. Once in a while probably just pop in and just ask him how he is. So what comes from this clearly is that these kind of things are also often not an aspect of kindness to the next person, it is just entertaining oneself. It is one's personal entertainment that one is getting out of it. That one now is spending some time in somebody's company or going to help somebody out. It's personal benefit more often than not. Whereas the bizarre and the temperament that Dean has thought is that a person, if he is doing somebody some favor or he is associating with somebody for some on a friendship level, it is not for his benefit personally. لا نريد منكم ولا شكورا. He's doing somebody some favor. He's doing it for Allah Taala. He's not making some future plan that if I do this for this person now, later on, he, I'll need him. So I rather now have a good contact with him from now. 
So he's having a good contact, he's assisting him sometimes, he's doing some favor for him. Why? For his own later benefit. So this is all just ulterior motives that come into all these things. And as a result, there's number one, no reward in that good that a person did because he did it for an ulterior motive. And often when these things are, something goes, slight thing goes wrong, and in that one instant suddenly this very good friendship just drops. Everything crashes. Because there were ulterior motives involved. It wasn't sincere. If it was sincere, then in a sincere friendship, relationship, then a person takes these things in something very major, serious, that's a different issue. But these trivial things, small, small things, <coughs> he very easily just takes it in his stride. He knows it's a passing thing and he carries on. And then everything settles, everything comes back on track. It will be sometimes be an hour, sometimes be a day. So you know, this thing, life carries on like this. He won't make a major issue of something small. But when it becomes a major issue, when to start off with, that was something based on just ulterior motives. So now that becomes a very big issue. Yes. There's two muraqabas that are mentioned here. Two muraqabas, that is meditations for safeguarding the friendship of Allah Ta'ala. There are two muraqabas which if they are practiced upon on a daily basis, will save one from the destructive disease of kibar, that is pride and vanity, inshaAllah Ta'ala. There have been several muraqabas that we discussed previously also. The example that has been many times given of these muraqabas is like that olden days watches and clocks. It's not so old, probably 15-20 years ago at the most, I don't know if maybe even more recent than that, but it looks like so olden because many people probably didn't even see such a watch. Where it was not battery operated, it had to be keyed. So that watch had to be keyed, to key that watch, you had to turn that little key, it would take one minute, one and a half minutes. But after having keyed it for that one minute, one and a half minute, it would then function on its own for 24 hours. At the end of that 24 hours, if first thing in the morning he keyed it, tomorrow morning he'll have to key it again. But that one minute of keying it, the benefit of that one minute of keying lasted 24 hours. So likewise, these muraqabas, now that keying seems a small little key, keyed up for one minute, seems like something very insignificant. One minute a person turned it around a couple of times, and a person who is not familiar with what, what this is all about, how this functions, what goes on here, you know, what is this one minute just turning this small little needle around going to do? Wasting time now, just turning the small little thing. But the person who knows what he does, he knows the small little key turning it around for that one minute is going to keep this functioning for 24 hours. For the rest of the 2400 and some minutes, this one minute is going to do that job. Likewise, this muraqaba seems like a small thing, doesn't seem anything really significant, doesn't seem like this is going to make any big difference in anything. But when done diligently, that short muraqaba, when done 
correctly, diligently, will have the benefit of that whole day. And often it takes a short while, a few days, few maybe a week or two weeks for it to start taking root. When it takes root, then that one day, one minute, two minutes of that muraqaba will keep a person in that consciousness, inshallah, for the whole day. This is something which outwardly seems many of the things that are very easy are taken for granted. Many things which are very simple to do, very easy, don't take much time, don't take much effort, are taken for granted. Whereas many a times that is something very deep, very effective. And among that is this aspect of muraqaba, this meditation. As we discussed one of the nights, that this was a very common thing in the Ahlullah, in the Salaf, in the pious predecessors. Sufyan Sauri Rahmatullah the incident we discussed, that from Isha to Fajr, he just sat down in that one posture, and the morning the person comes and sees that he's still sitting there before Fajr, he says, do you know it's almost Fajr time? He says, from that moment that you gave me this jug in my hand after Isha, till now I was in the contemplation of Akhirat. Now this muraqab of moth, muraqab of akhirat, but this is the extent to which they were engrossed in this tafakkur and i'tibar. So I say this was his main ibadat, his greatest ibadat, tafakkur and i'tibar, pondering and taking lessons from things. So this meditation is something very, very important, very, very necessary. It might seem very, very simple thing, very small thing, but it's very big in its effect. So we should now make sure that these things are done diligently and we'll see the benefit, inshallah. So these are two muraqabas which will, inshallah, save one from the destructive disease of kibber, pride and vanity. This disease is so detrimental that it comes in a hadith sharif that anyone who has pride in his heart equal to even a mustard seed will not enter Jannat. It was this very disease which caused Iblis to become rejected from the court of Allah Ta'ala and made him say, Ana khayrum min, I am more superior than him, meaning referring to Adam al-Islam, khalaqtani min nariu wa khalaqtahu min teen, that you have created me from fire and created him, Adam al-Islam, from dust. When Iblis was given the command to make sajda to Adam al-Islam, so this is the reaction. And this reaction stemmed from this pride. So this pride is then what caused him to become forever, to become rejected. Due to this superiority complex within him, that wretched fool objected against the command of Allah Ta'ala. And with this thought in mind, that how can that which is superior bow down to a creation which is inferior? Because he now made his own qiyas his own analogy. But this analogy, if a person doesn't have the understanding of how the analogy works, then he'll make all these kinds of completely baseless analogies. He will see something and he will try to apply everything to that same, what one aspect he saw. There was one person who climbed one very tall tree, palm tree or something, coconut, he went to get something from the top. Now he climbed the tree, so now when he climbed it, he got to the top. Now when he got to the top, he doesn't know how to, there's a thin little tree. 
Now he's just clinging there for dear life because he doesn't want to come back down. Because to climb now is a bit comparatively easier. And now to come downwards, you can just suddenly slip and so now he got stuck right on top there. Now this was in one village, simple people. So now they wondering now what to do now, how to bring this person down. Now he's shouting for help from there. So there was the wise man of the village. But this Bichara wise man was, his wisdom was something, Allah knows best where he got it from. So in any case they called him, that look this person is a very wise person, so maybe he'll help us how to sort the problem out. So he came, saw what's going on here. So you know this person climbed this very tall tree and now he's stuck right on top there, he doesn't know how to come down. So what's a big problem? Very simple this is. Bring one rope, long rope. So they brought the long rope. So he said now throw this rope up to him. So now as he's saying now, he's the wise man of the village. So they threw the rope up to him somehow. And so he grabbed hold of the rope. So he said now you hold on, put this rope around you somehow and make sure you hold on fast to it. So fine, he did that. Now when he finished do that, so he told all these people down the other end of the rope. Now hold the other end of the rope. Now tug it hard. <laughs> now when they tugged it hard, the end result is obvious. This person came crashing down and he died. So now everybody is shocked at what the fellow did. So he said, you killed him. He says, no, no, this was his takdeer. Because the last time that fellow fell in the deep well, we threw that rope down to him and tugged it hard, he came out. So the tugging of the rope couldn't have killed him because that fellow came out from the well. So therefore this is something well was just meant to happen now. So now that was the person who was deep down in the well, what was the solution for him? He applied that analogy to this person stuck on that high tree. He says, well now it's the same thing. Now this is a person who doesn't have knowledge to start off with, or he's blinded due to his inner problems, blinded to realities. He's blinded to what is the reality of issues, so now he's just haphazardly making decisions in order to suit himself, and as a result he causes great amount of problems, difficulties for himself and for others also. So this was what Shaitan did, that he saw Adam salam was created from sand, and he knew he's created from fire, so fire naturally goes upwards. You light a fire, the flames rise upwards, and sand you throw it up also it will come down. So he made that as his basis for that analogy. That who is better and who is superior, he based it on this, like that fellow based the solution on who came out from the well, the same will be applied to the person on the tree. Whereas this doesn't make somebody superior or inferior in itself. But because he used this analogy, Na'uzubillah, against Allah Ta'ala. And in the heavens, so this became the means of complete rejection. Therefore, he who follows in the footsteps of Iblis, that is, breeds pride and vanity in his heart, will also end up to be rejected from the court of Allah Ta'ala. Therefore, the following two meditations will, inshallah, serve as a protection and shield from becoming wretched and rejected from the court of Allah Ta'ala. Through the blessings of these meditations, pride cannot come about in the heart. That is, when this is done diligently, properly, person really embeds this in his heart through those muraqabas, 
then inshallah he'll be totally cleaned out from this pride. Furthermore, just as it is important to perform good deeds, it is likewise important, likewise critical and necessary to safeguard those good deeds. Thus, these two muraqabahs will also be, be a means of guarding the actions of wilayat, that is the friendship of Allah Ta'ala. One is doing a good deed. Doing a good deed is like a person went and he earned something. He went and earned a lot of money, for example. But merely having earned it is not the end of the story. He has to now bring it back safely home. He went and he earned a lot, filled his pockets with it, but now as he's coming down back home, so some people who realize what he's carrying, that he's carrying a lot of money with him, so they decided to lighten his pockets for him. And now when he comes home, so now he sees his pockets are empty. So now he keeps boasting about that, well, I had earned so much. But where is it? Did you bring it home? I didn't bring it home, it got lost on the way somewhere. So what benefit is it to you now? So just as it was important to earn it, it was important to look after it and bring it along. So likewise, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran Sharif, مَنْ جَاءَ بِالْحَسَنَةِ فَلَهُ عَشْرُ أَمْثَالِهَا مَنْ جَاءَ بِالْحَسَنَةِ That the person who brings along the good deed to Qiyamah, then he will get ten times the like thereof. But if he already lost it on the way, then he lost it. Alhamdulillah, he did the good deed, but then he didn't look after it. So just as it's important to do the right actions, it is also very important to look after those actions. Now if someone poses a question as to what is the proof for meditation, that is muraqabahs, in answer to this, my Shaykh Maulana Shah Abdul Ghani, Pulpuri Sahib Rahmatullah to say that the proof for meditation is in this hadith, رَاقِبِ اللَّهَ تَجِدْهُ تُجَاهَكَ Nabi Islam said to Hazrat Abdullah bin Abbas that رَاقِبِ اللَّهَ ponder and meditate upon Allah Ta'ala and you will find him before you. Ponder and meditate upon Allah Ta'ala refers to the developing the consciousness of Allah Ta'ala that Allah Ta'ala is all seeing, Allah Ta'ala is all knowing Allah أَلَمْ يَعْلَمْ بِأَنَّ اللَّهَ يَرَى يَعْلَمُ خَائِنَةَ الْآَيُنَ وَمَا تُخْفِ الصُّدُورِ The various ayat of the Qur'an Sharif that deal with this aspect. And likewise, pondering over the qudrat of Allah Ta'ala that brings the greatness of Allah Ta'ala in the heart of a person. So, when a person will keep doing this, Hadith Sharif Nabi Islam says, تَجِدْهُ تُجَاهَكْ That you will find him before you. Find him before you, this is a meaning, the expression to mean that you will be forever now conscious of the, forever conscious of Allah Ta'ala. When you have done this muraqaba, raqib, raqib Allah, the same word is used, from the same root. So this will bring about this consciousness of Allah Ta'ala. So this is the proof and the dalil of muraqaba being part of deen. The sufiya kiram who have made muraqaba and meditation a practice have done so due to the hadith narrated in Bukhari Sharif known as Hadith-e-Ihsan, wherein it is stated, أَن تَعْبُدَ اللَّهَ كَأَنَّكَ تَرَاهَ That you should worship Allah Ta'ala as if you see Him. Nobody can see Allah Ta'ala in dunya. That is something which is the greatest of all bounties and ni'mat that will be blessed to those in Jannat. And according to their stages in Jannat, to that extent they will be blessed with the 
vision of Allah Ta'ala. That is in Jannat. In dunya, nobody has the ability to see Allah Ta'ala. But we are to worship Allah Ta'ala. In the Hadith Sharif it is mentioned, One who has reached the stage, how can he then commit sins? And he who abstains from sins becomes the wali of Allah Ta'ala. This is due to the fact that taqwa is the foundation of wilayat. Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran Sharif, In awliya'uhu illa al-muttaqoon. Only those are his awliya, his friends, who abstain from sins. So, this is the basis and the foundation of wilayat, that a person abstains from all haram and all sins. Unfortunately, these days, some deviant and ignorant and fake Sufis are performing all sorts of meditations, in inverted commas, meditations, which they are supposed to see a point of light gradually increasing and transforming into different colors, or they are supposed to meditate that they are flying from the earth to the skies. If they not, do not start seeing light filling up the entire earth and skies, then they are told to remain sitting silent in one place until they see something. The end result of such ignorant meditations is that people will end up becoming mad. Therefore, it is extremely necessary for us to understand that this is absolutely not the purpose of meditation, to start seeing some things and start um, having some experiences. All this is baseless, it's got nothing to do with Shariat and Deen. So therefore, it is extremely necessary for us to understand that this is absolutely not the purpose of meditation, rather the objective of Muraqaba, as mentioned above, is that such a realization of Allah Ta'ala's of Allah Ta'ala enters the heart, that is the omnipresence of Allah Ta'ala. That one remains safe from disobeying Allah Ta'ala. Because through disobedience, one becomes deprived of Allah Ta'ala's love and friendship. So this aspect that has been touched on here, that some who are deviant, ignorant and fake Sufis, it's just a matter that some, in everything, there are some who have latched on to things for the sake of personal benefit. That it becomes a means of some dunya being acquired. So one needs to be very, very careful, very wary about who one takes direction from. Otherwise, as I mentioned some incidents of this, in this regard as well, one person was also of this nature for the sake of dunya, but sometimes such people have done some kind of exercises. It's got nothing to do with anything ruhaniyat, anything spiritual. These are exercises which anybody does over time. He can start acquiring some kind of extraordinary abilities. So now there's no need to go into what kind of exercises these are and so on. So something little bit extraordinary. So now by means of that, the person did something and he gained some little bit of extraordinary ability. So now he fools the people who are simple-minded people into believing that now he is somebody very, very great. Why? Because he can do these kind of some tricks and whatever else to try and mesmerize people. So now, whether the person is now even fulfilling the faraiz, let alone the sunnah, let alone other aspects of deen, whether he is even fulfilling the faraiz or not, that too becomes a secondary thing. And in fact, Allah forbid not even any consideration for it. So once one person, he was of this nature, one day after a long time he came to some 
area again where a lot of people had become his disciples and murids, got caught up in this, all his fanfare. And he came, but he came in a way that he is now like very weak and behaving like that, walking like with difficulty. So I asked him, what happened to you? How come you've gone so weak? So he says, well, you all don't do anything. I've got to do everything on your behalf. You all don't perform your salah. So every day I'm performing salah on everybody's behalf. And then even in the year after two, I'm going to have to take all the burden of all your people's problems. And the pulsirat too, I'm going to have to walk across the pulsirat for you all. You know how sharp the pulsirat is and how thin it is, how long it is. And for you all, I'm going to have to walk with the pulsirat. So now I'm doing all this on your behalf. But now what was this meant to be, that if I'm doing all this for you, what are you doing for me now? So one person now already got caught up in that same thought. So he said, you see, you're doing so much for us. So that field, that rice field that I owned, that is yours now. So now he thought this person, well, in any case, what the, he had thrown the bait. The fish has latched on already. But he thought he'd rather reel it in one time properly. So he thought, now this person said it, but sometimes maybe tomorrow he might forget he said it. So rather I go and get it endorsed on the spot. So he said, well, very good, you gave me that rice field now. Let's go and see it also. Take me, show me which is mine now. So he took him now, this rice field, there's water on those fields, there's little, thin little ledges or something to walk across. Now those ledges are sometimes over time become very unstable. So now this, he said, very well, let's go along. So now this person is walking in front and the person who gifted him that field is walking behind him, telling him, well, take this turn, take that turn. Now they came into that field. So now he had to walk across one somebody else's ledge to get to his point. So now this person started walking in front. As walking, now that is a little bit unstable. So he started first losing balance. So now when he started losing balance and now he's almost falling, so this fellow from back gave him a kick and dropped him. So he said, what are you up to? He says, you are supposed to walk on the Pursirat for me. You can't even manage walking on this little ledge. This is so wide still, compared to the Pursirat. And here you are already losing your balance and falling. What are you going to walk across the Pursirat for me? So these are the fake people who try to deceive others. One needs to be wary about where one goes and what one does. So any case, these muraqabas, we'll just discuss one today, and inshallah the other tomorrow, or part of one inshallah. So inshallah we'll do this tomorrow, Allah give us tawfiq.